This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You Show with Adol Kosilski and Faggy Stern. Well, good morning from Johannesburg, South Africa. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You Show and with me in studio, good morning, Faggy. Good morning, Adol. Glad to have you on board. Today we are going to be discussing dyslexia, a very, very interesting topic, and we have none other than Jenna Gelman. Uh, we've had her on before. Jenna Gelman is a 25-year-old South African living and studying in Israel. She completed her BA in psychology at Reichman University and is in her final semester of her master's in neuroscience at Barilan University. Throughout her study, she has learned about the processes involved in language and reading, including the topic of dyslexia, and would love to share some of this knowledge with us. Most famously, she is the famous daughter of granddaughter of Dr. Kassel, one of our very, very often sought of and, and, and wonderful guests that we have on the show. So good morning, Jenna. Hi, thank you for having me here, even though it's Online, it's it's great to even just see you over the screen. So thank and you for the opportunity. also. Yeah, we are conscious of the fact that uh, Jenna is in Israel, and um, any point in time we might have to interrupt the show in case of any mortar attacks. But please God, this will go smoothly, and there will be some peace, and uh, everybody can get along with the business that they need to. So to kick off our our discussion this morning, Jenna, maybe let's get a definition of what is dyslexia. I was about to read dyslexia. <laughs> The wrong way around, and then we said, well, I have dyslexia. We would have had a diagnosis, right? Yeah. <laughs> so dyslexia is a reading and spelling disorder. It can occur either in childhood, in which case it is called developmental dyslexia, or it can occur much later on in adulthood as a result of brain injury or stroke. This is known as acquired dyslexia. Dyslexia is the most common neurobehavioral disorder affecting children and adolescents at a prevalence rate of about 5%, and it is two to three times more common in males than in females. But before we discuss the topic of dyslexia, I would like to delve deeper into the processes involved in reading because I think it is crucial to understand these processes because any breakdown in these processes can manifest itself in various types of dyslexia. One theoretical framework for understanding the processes that are involved in reading is called the dual root model of reading. And to explain this, I'll use an example. Let's say we're reading a book and we come across the word shed. This word um, is either, um, if we're reading the word shed, this word is either familiar to us or not familiar to us. And when we come across this word, our brain can process and read this word using one of two roots. There's a fast root, which is useful for reading irregularly spelt words like Wednesday or yacht or pretty. And this fast root is also important for reading familiar words. Then we also have the slow root, which is important for reading words we've never seen before, unfamiliar words. So back to our example, we come across the word shed. If this is a word I'm familiar with, this means that I've encountered this word before. My brain knows that. And so my brain has taken some sort of mental snapshot of this word and stored it in a mental dictionary, a, a metaphorical mental dictionary in our brain. 
And so when I'm reading a book and I see the word shed, I can quickly retrieve this word from this mental dictionary. But what if I've never seen or heard this word before? In that case, I would need to read using the slow route, which enables me to translate each letter, each written letter, into the corresponding sound the letter makes. Both of these routes allow me to arrive at the same conclusion. It's just a matter of how long it takes to get to that conclusion. So you may be wondering, what is the point of the slow route if we can just so quickly read the word with the fast route? Skilled readers use both of these routes because they each lend their own individual value. The fast route, as I said earlier, is important for reading irregularly spelt words like Wednesday and familiar words like shed, if this is in our mental dictionary. But this fast route is useless when it comes to reading words we've never seen before. When we encounter words we've never seen before, we need to use the slope because this will enable us to sound out each letter and blend the sounds into a word. So that's essentially the process of, that's the process of reading in simple terms, basically the fast route and the slow route. Can I just disturb here? Just, I know that you're making this the basis of then what happens and what goes wrong with dyslexia. One of the things that I've noticed, like when I grew up, like we were taught the slow route, right? How to go sh, uh, and, uh, and then work it out. And I'm noticing now with my grandchildren that they're actually teaching them words, like just for them to memorize it. And is that like part of the evolution of the way we should be, you know, learning now? Because now that it's not so much that they, they get each and every single letter. They do sometimes, but the, the, a lot of it is memorization, like for them to just actually remember the words and store it in that mental dictionary, like you said. I think that's actually a really interesting point that you made to see like the change in the, just the change with time in how um, new words are learned and acquired and read. And I think it does make sense. I think both techniques are useful, but I think when it comes to maybe simpler words or shorter words, maybe words that follow regular conventions, if you know, obviously there would need to be prior knowledge that the letters SH make the sh sound. But once you know these, the sounds that letters make, then I think just flashing the words and learning them as a whole is, is a very good technique and better than translating or converting each letter into its sound because ultimately that's just going to train your brain to recognize these words faster, read these words quicker and use the fast route. But of course, when we come across maybe the word prerogative where it's P, are like it just doesn't make sense according to conventional conventional spelling and English is a very weird language. Even take the word though, like why is the o the o u g h? It just it doesn't make sense. So I think those are the kind of words that it would be really important to memorize them as a whole, and obviously like really repeat um, this process so that th- these words become stored in the brain's mental dictionary. And then use the process of sounding sounding letters out for more difficult, more complicated words. But in time, these words will become memorized as a whole. It's really funny. I was going to tell you, I have I have an electrician, a guy who obviously wasn't taught how to read and write, and I think he taught himself the alphabet and the sounds of it. So whenever I communicate with him and I say to him, "Can you come, please, fix up my electrical board?" He'll reply to me in the beginning. I don't know what the heck he was writing because. 
he knows how to speak the language. So he just uses the letters and he makes up his, like, it's, it's, it's it, he doesn't, like, if he, Doe, if he had to say the word Doe, he would probably put D-O-E or something like that. He would just, he just spells it. You know, I would. So he goes W-O-O-D. I would, because that for him is would. Like, it, it, is that then considered dyslexia <laughs> or just like a lack of spelling? I think it could, it could be, um, like there are various, uh, we'll get into the clinical features of dyslexia and the diagnostic factors, but it could be a, a part of dyslexia. <laughs> okay, it's like really interesting. Maybe. <laughs> no, I think also when we come back from, from the break, we must also discuss, you know, these compensations because dyslexic, people that aren't dyslexic, they use so many compensations. I'll give you an example after the break. Okay, we are speaking to Jenna Gelman. We are talking on the topic of uh, dyslexia. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show, and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. We are talking to Jenna Gelman. We are talking dyslexia, and I think just before the break, you were you were giving us the background. So, do you want to continue on now as to where we see dyslexia happening now that we understand what foundationally is correct? Sure. So now that we have a sort of rudimentary understanding of the the processes involved in reading, we can discuss the different types of dyslexia each of which results from a breakdown in one of, in one or both of these routes, the fast route and or the slow routes that we discussed in reading. Essentially, we can distinguish between peripheral and surface dyslexia, peripheral and central dyslexia, sorry. Peripheral dyslexia is characterized by difficulties in the visual recognition stage of the letters and words themselves. And central dyslexia is characterized by difficulty in the later stages of reading in the, the processing groups that we spoke about earlier, the fast route or the slow route. An example of one type of peripheral dyslexia is letter position dyslexia, where the letters are said to migrate within words. But what's interesting about this dyslexia is the positions of the first and the last letters tend to remain in place, but it's the middle letters that tend to migrate. And an example of this is reading the word dairy as diary. The first and last letters stay in place, but the A and I are switched. Another example is the reading the word clam as calm or vice versa. So that's a peripheral dyslexia because the difficulty is in that recognition stage of the letters, not being able to encodes the proper position of the letter. So that's a peripheral dyslexia. And now moving on to central dyslexia, where the difficulties stem from faulty processing routes, either the, the fast route or the slow route. There's surface dyslexia and phonological dyslexia. These are complete mirror images of each other. There are various other types of central dyslexia, but but these are the two that I would like to discuss here just because they are complete mirror images of each other. Surface dyslexia stems from an issue in the fast route. And remember that fast route is essential for reading those irregularly spelt words like Wednesday or yacht or pretty. So if someone has surface dyslexia, they will not be able to read these irregularly spelt words using the fast route. And so they will compensate by using the slow route, which 
functions by converting each letter into itself. And so they would incorrectly read the word Wednesday as Wednesday or pretty as pretty or yacht as yacht. So the outcome of this type of dyslexia, so an individual with surface dyslexia where the issue is with the fast route will be unable to read irregularly spelt words like Wednesday or yacht. And they would read them as Wednesday or yacht because they are using, they are compensating with the slow route, which slowly converts each letter into its corresponding sound. So the outcome of this type of dyslexia is problems with accuracy and comprehension and, of course, slower than normal reading. On the flip side of surface dyslexia, we have phonological dyslexia, where the slow root is impaired. This means that individuals with this type of dyslexia will have difficulty reading aloud any words they have not encountered before because they can't use that regular process of converting each letter into itself. They would have to use the fast root, which is only useful for irregularly spelt words or familiar words. So these type of it, these individuals take longer to learn to read. They usually start to master the skill of reading in grade two or three. Once they have enough familiar words in what I said earlier is the metaphorical mental dictionary. So once they have enough familiar words in this dictionary, then they can read these words holistically because they cannot use that slow route of translating letters into sounds. What actually causes dyslexia? So the causes of dyslexia are multifaceted. There's genetic factors involved, neurobiological factors, and also environmental factors. In terms of genetics, dyslexia occurs in 50% of children who have a parent with dyslexia and in 50% of the siblings of dyslexic people. Differences in multiple genes each contribute a small amount of expression of dyslexia, but this is not the whole story. There's also neurobiological factors where it is the left, back, and side of the brain that is predominantly affected in dyslexia because it is the left hemisphere reading systems that are the language and reading is predominantly located in the left hemisphere of the brain, regardless of hand. So whether an individual is left-handed or right-handed, language is predominantly located in the left hemisphere. And so the neural signature of dyslexia is less activation in the left hemisphere reading systems. One brain region that's crucial is in reading is the visual word form area, which is an area at the back of our brain. And it's important for recognizing written words and also rapid reading. This is an area that has less activation in individuals with dyslexia. And as a result in treatments, which we can talk about later, various interventions have revealed that the brain activity actually changes in individuals after an intervention so that instead of the left visual word form area having that activation, these individuals compensate with the right equivalent of the visual word form area. So I think that's something that's really interesting that there's that compensation um, and that the behavioral 
we'll talk about this when we talk about um, interventions and treatments, but I think it's something that's really interesting that our brain can adapt um, provided we intervene earlier. I find that so fascinating because I just recently took my son for an assessment and he was the, the places that he scored high was where he's had the intervention. So after having speech therapy for a certain amount of time, he was able to score high because he was kind of, it was almost like he was overstimulated in his brain, but in a good way. So he was above average in areas that he wouldn't necessarily have been. Wow. So you That's can, you can like actually train the brain. That it's working. Correct. Isn't that called neuroplasticity? Yeah. It I is our brain. The concept of someone compensating. So I'll give you the example that I was going to say beforehand. My, my gynae for my last baby. At one of my last appointments, I asked her a question and I said to her, she wanted to give me a, a contact detail for someone. So she says to me, but I need you to write it down because I can't write. And I'm like, you're my gynae and you're a doctor and you've studied for so many years and you can't write. Like, how does that make sense? So she explained to me that she was severely, severely dyslexic. And um, she was brought up in a home where her mother made her feel like an idiot and said to her, you're going to be nothing one day, you know, just... He's going to be a housewife. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Housewives, that is an amazing job. <laughs> but um, she said to me that her aunt actually lived in her house and would wake her up early, early in the morning and train her. And she said to me, it was a very interesting concept, that she would use mathematics to train herself how to read and remember words. So if she ever had to give a speech, let's say, at university, she used to have to really work extremely hard to remember everything completely off by heart because she couldn't read it off her paper. And not only that, but she, she was so strong in maths that she would use maths to explain it to herself. I don't know. That to me is Chinese. If you can kind of explain how people compensate so much to be able to do things that they can't do. I think it's that's really interesting and it is a really interesting topic and something that has definitely been researched in neuroscience the it's all related to the the field of neuroplasticity and essentially if one area of the brain is damaged then neighboring areas can take over so i remember once there was this um the, the study um with monkeys where it's it's a little bit gruesome this was when they still did a lot of these kind of studies with monkeys and but they had severed um, the monkey, one of the monkey's fingers, and then they would see how this would affect the monkey's performance in motor tasks. And the other fingers would take over. You would see a map if you were to map the activation of the the fingers. You would see that the other fingers had more activation, and almost immediately you have this compensation from other areas, other neighboring areas. People who are blind often have, they compensate with their, their other senses and people who are deaf compensate with their other senses. It's an evolutionary mechanism. It's amazing that our brain is able to adapt during these periods of plasticity, these critical periods. I've got two questions. Number one, how does one diagnose dyslexia? First, I want to distinguish between screening for dyslexia and making a formal diagnosis of dyslexia. Screening can actually be done before the child enters school at as young as four years old. And screening is really a brief 
assessment of the child's risk of having or developing dyslexia. The screening entails um, a family history, collecting a family history to see the child's genetic risk or familial risk of having dyslexia. As I mentioned, genetic genetics is uh, one of the causal factors of dyslexia, but only one of them. And so the screening process would involve this um, obtaining family history of dyslexia, as well as some behavioral assessments, some standardized behavioral tests to um, ascertain whether the the child may be at risk for having dyslexia. That's the screening phase that can be done very early. If the screen is positive, then only once this would lead to a formal, this would cause reason to um, refer to speech language pathologists or reading specialists, neuropsychologists to formally diagnose dyslexia, but this formal diagnosis, as opposed to screening, can only happen once the child has started to learn how to read in school. And that, so, so that is the difference between screening and diagnosis. But now what I think is really important to emphasize is the fact that there's this early intervention period. There's this, this stage, if you have reason to believe if if you as a parent or the teacher have reason to believe that your child may have dyslexia or may be at risk of having dyslexia, even at four years old, based on certain clinical features. Examples of clinical features include delayed language development, poor vocabulary, not being able to match letters and words, letters to the sounds they make and not being able to um, break a word up into its sounds or blend the sounds together into words, not being able to identify these rhyming sounds. All of these are examples of clinical features that can be seen early on and can motivate a screening assessment. And then this, and like I said, this can be done very early. And what's amazing about doing it early is we were just talking about plasticity, neuroplasticity, where the brain is plastic and malleable and any sort of intervention, any sort of training is going to cause visible changes in the brain, which will manifest itself into behavioral change. And then later on, the child, once a child starts to learn to read at school, then the child can have a more comprehensive assessment of whether they have dyslexia or not. I have two questions. Number one is, is there such a thing as then teaching kids to learn to read at an earlier age? Or is there a specific age where children should only start learning to read? And then also, is there any type of technology that they're using these days that they could kind of tell, you know, what the brain is and isn't capable of? The first question, to answer your first question, that was in relation to, like, is it beneficial or necessary to start um, teaching children to read at an earlier age? I think there's no, I mean, in my opinion, uh, I think there's no harm in that. I think cultivating a literacy-rich environment from an early age is vital um, I think it's it's really important. I don't think it can do any damage. I'm not a doctor, but just in my opinion, I think um, one of the we didn't mention, but another one of the causes of dyslexia is an environmental factor 
of inadequate exposure to language. So if a child grows up in an environment, a home environment that is not cultivating this literacy-rich or language-rich environment, they're not going to have adequate exposure to language. And as a result, they will have issues with learning to read. And this can eventually manifest itself as dyslexia, even if there's no genetic component involved. So I think teaching a child to read from an early age, I think is a great, I think it's a great thing to do. And your second question, if you could just remind me. About the technology, there's technology these days that people are using to see, you know, what the brain is and isn't capable of. Like imaging tests, neuroimaging or screening tests. There are certain neuroimaging tests, but these are not used as a standalone diagnostic tool but rather in conjunction with behavioral assessments, behavioral assessments and observations, neuropsychological uh, evaluations, observations, and acquiring the family medical history are the basis of diagnosing dyslexia. But if possible, they can be used in conjunction with these imaging tests. Like I mentioned earlier, Neurobiologically speaking, individuals with dyslexia have less activation in the left hemisphere, um, which is important for reading and language. So functional MRI studies, functional MRI measure brain activity as a function of changes in blood flow in the brain. And these, this type of neuroimaging has revealed that individuals with dyslexia indeed have less activation in the in the left side of their brain. And so this could be informative, but it is not informative enough to be used alone. It would need to be in conjunction with behavioral assessments. We're speaking to Jenna Gelman and we are talking about dyslexia. Um, this is the Healthy Wealth Show and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You Wealthy You Show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. We're talking all things dyslexia. I have one or two questions now, if I, if I may. Number one, dyslexia is about recognizing the word that you're seeing. Is it, is, is a sign of dyslexia when, when the kid is verbalizing and swapping around the words? You know, we think it's very cute when like, uh, for example, uh, I don't know. The B's and the D's. Yeah, they, they swap B's and D's around. Is, is, is that a completely different thing? That has to do with their speech? Like, is dyslexia only to do with the written word? Dyslexia is, it's to do with the written word because it's a reading and spelling disorder. So it's in terms of reading, not being able to read the written word correctly. Or, um, and and it's what you're saying in terms of maybe like pronouncing a word, um, with a D instead of a B. It's swapping the B and D when they write. Like letter reversal. Like letter reversal. So I think that could fall under dyslexia because it's a, it's an issue in the, a type of peripheral dyslexia where the issue is in the visual recognition mm. of the letters mm. and, and of the words. And yeah, dyslexia, it's in terms of, in terms of the written, the, what we call orthographics, the written, the written And then the other question that I have for you is that I've read so many times about brilliant businessmen or or entrepreneurs or whatever, and they're all dyslexic. 
right? That they couldn't, they, they, what, what is happening there? Is it that the brain, the other sides of the brain are compensating for the slack? And so they end up getting a, like a more 3D version of what it is they're supposed to do as opposed to us who, or, or, or people who are normal and we can read and we can write, but we just don't think out of the box. Like, it's I, also I, I, like they've been working through such frustration with not being able to do something that they want to like prove themselves so much that they work so hard at it. But they do, they, they, they get, they, yes, they keep because of that frustration, that frustration pushes them. I think that's actually something I've been pondering as well, because, um, for example, one of the most brilliant scientists, uh, uh, Nobel Prize recipient, Albert Einstein, he had dyslexia. And one of, I love one of his quotes says, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life thinking it's stupid. <laughs> I love that one. Well, you know, you see, you need to talk to the next one to say that. They see the world differently. That's beautiful. That, yeah, I mean, Albert Einstein, he would also say that imagination is more important than knowledge. And very often he would not really be able to express himself in terms of writing. But I think having some sort of condition, it enables other parts of the brain to take over, to compensate. So maybe um, the creative areas become more um, more prominent and this is why you said a lot of this is perhaps why a lot of the entrepreneurs they had dyslexia because they were forced to be more creative and maybe um learning under adverse circumstances and not um performing according to the the standards that were expected of them maybe forced them to unlock new avenues of thinking and creativity and this is really what makes a brilliant mind and can distinguish like brilliant people from the mediocre people is really being able to unlock these avenues of untapped potential and creativity and I just think this is really exemplified in Albert Einstein for example in in various other people Richard Branson these entrepreneurs authors physicists like people you would think, wow, they're so successful. They must have always been like this. And it's not. And I think this gives people, this can give people a lot of hope that even if they are dealing with a condition that may seem debilitating and it may seem very difficult, which I can imagine it must be very difficult. But I think cultivating an environment that is supportive um, raising awareness about dyslexia, how to treat it, how to identify it, and particularly how to identify and intervene early before that optimal window of intervention closes and providing as much emotional support as possible. These individuals do not need to be defined by their disorder, but can rather compensate with the other mechanisms, the other ways of learning, like, like you mentioned. Well, just very quickly then, how do we treat dyslexia? So if, if you do get that diagnosis, what are the early interventions that we're looking at? The early interventions, the most effective interventions are in small group settings or one-on-one. And the interventions involve training, um, training these individuals to be able to recognize the sounds that a letter makes, because this is essential for reading, um, being able to 
match the, the these letters to the sounds they make, being able to break a word down into its sounds and blend these sounds together into words, writing exercises, spelling exercises, supported reading. Something that's very important is, like I said earlier, the that cultivating that literacy-rich environment at home. So an important part of the intervention is cultivating a rich, a literacy-rich family environment where the family reads together and and at a and, and reads pretty often, very frequently. And I think this is also in schools as well. I think this is really important to have reading in groups where the the children with dyslexia would then feel less intimidated as opposed to if they were reading alone where they're self-conscious, if they make a mistake. Reading in a group is really beneficial for this because the stronger learners, the stronger readers can carry the weaker readers, but they're also all reading together, teaching each other, helping each other. And this peer-mediated learning is a is one of the accommodations that is very important in schools once the schools have been notified of um, a child's diagnosis with dyslexia. This is group learning and reading is very important. It's actually, it must be quite a fine line diagnosing dyslexia because there's so many other aspects involved, let's say like visual therapy or being able to do, you know, kids that have tracking issues. My one son has a bit of a weak muscle in his eyes so that he did find certain things complicated, you know, copying from a board onto his paper where someone may say, you know, I feel like in schools it's a little bit complicated when it comes to actually diagnosing an issue. It is. There are definitely complications. And I think that's why um, that's why I led the discussion with the, the processes involved in reading, because I think that knowing the different ways in which the, the reading process can break down and understanding the properties of each type of dyslexia enables the development and implementation of focused treatment directions that are tailored to the specific errors and source of each type of dyslexia. So you say your your son has um, trouble with tracking and being able to copy down from the board. It's crucial to have, if you are going, if there's reason to believe that your child may have dyslexia, then it's crucial that the test really can capture that type of dyslexia and what we find often is that some of the standard tests are not able to capture all the types of dyslexia. As an example, we spoke about surface dyslexia where the issue is in the fast group. And so a child with this type of dyslexia will have trouble reading the word yacht. And then we also spoke about phonological dyslexia where the issue is in the slow route, and so the child will have trouble reading regularly spelled words that are unfamiliar to them. But we also spoke about letter position dyslexia, where the letters migrate within words. So a lot of these standardized tests, they have the regularly spelled words, the irregularly spelled words, and non-words, which is all great for diagnosing surface or phonological dyslexia, but if there are no migratable words like dairy and diary or clam and calm, then this may lead to not diagnosing the child with dyslexia. So I agree. I think it is very, um, there is a fine line, especially since there are so many different types of dyslexia. But I think the first step is understanding the way we are supposed to read and understanding the ways in which these processing routes can break down that can really inform 
be informative of the different types of dyslexia and aiding different treatments. Look, to let our listeners know that Peggy and I run a WhatsApp group and we drop a little bit of uh, sometimes common sense and just like this uh, out-of-the-box ideas. No, we both aren't dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> um, on health, if you'd like to join that, you can send uh, an email to info at highfm.com uh, with your name and your number. Of course, you're going to have WhatsApp. It's admin run, so it doesn't spam your box. You can keep it on silent, read it at will. But it just keeps you on the straight and narrow as we try to keep ourselves um, on the straight and narrow, but to use, you know, just think about alternative things. This is the Healthy You Wealthy Show. It's 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You Wealthy You Show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. We have a couple of minutes left with you, Jenna. I mean, I guess I, I, I've got like a hundred questions going through my head, but I think that we, we need to stay focused because we're almost at the end of our talk. I've got one area that we, we didn't touch, and if we could spend maybe a minute or two uh, very quickly, what happens when somebody gets acquired dyslexia because of a brain trauma? Is the therapy the same? Um, you know, is the prognosis the same? What happens then? So acquired dyslexia, this would be as a result of a brain injury or stroke. In terms of the prognosis, um, it, it, whether the, the prognosis, it depends on the nature and the extent of the, the damage in the brain. But in general, like some individuals with acquired dyslexia, they may experience significant recovery with rehabilitation. And while others, it can be more difficult. It really all depends on where that brain damage is. And the treatments are, the, the treatments are pretty much the same. Like the really just focusing training on being able to, it also, it depends on the type of dyslexia. Um, one type of acquired dyslexia, which I think is fascinating is neglect dyslexia, where the, this is caused by damage to typically the the right hemisphere, which results in the individual not being able to see um, anything in their left visual field. It's the opposite. And so when reading a word, for example, they would read the word rice as ice. And so if asked, they're, they're completely ignoring the R. They're not, it's not even in their um, attention field. So the treatment, um, the rehabilitation techniques would be different depending on the type of dyslexia. But that's just one type of dyslexia that I think is really fascinating. And it also just really elucidates how a knowledge of the different symptoms of the different types of dyslexia is so important in order to cater to different interventions that really need to be specific to the specific dyslexias. This has been a fascinating conversation. I certainly have learned a lot. Thank you, Jenna, for your time. I'm glad that we passed this time peacefully. And our prayers is that, that Israel is restored back to its peace and that you can continue doing your incredible work um, in the field of, of, of neuroscience. And uh, please, God, we'll have you back again because I just like learned a tremendous amount. Absolutely. Wow. Phenomenal. So stay safe and um, our prayers are with you. And thank you once again for joining us on the Healthy You, Wealthy You program. This is 101.9 High FM.